Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're turning there, I just want to remind those of you who may not have yet stopped by the gathering on Saturday evenings, but this is a wonderful opportunity for those who are part of our church family to invite friends who perhaps do not know the Savior to bring them into an environment that is very friendly, very welcoming, very open environment, and where they will hear the gospel clearly presented. Pastor Luke has been giving the gospel each week as we're going through this, and it is so clearly presented that people have got to think about their eternal destiny, and they have to think about their relationship with their Creator. And uh, if you haven't come or if you haven't invited someone, you're all welcome to come any, any Saturday evening starting at 6.45. We end right at 8 o'clock. And there are refreshments. There are some wonderful cookies. I found that out last night. Some great coffee, hot or cold, regular or decaf. So older folks are welcome to come too. You can have the decaf. Don't, do, do, no, okay. Do, do you older folks like to drink decaf later at night? Is it, no? You like the regular? You don't drink it at night. Okay. Well, I guess that takes care of that. <laughs> there's bottled water and there's all sorts of things. Let me encourage you to come. Having said that, one of the things that to me has been an incredible blessing uh, over the years watching what the Lord has done in the lives of His people has been to watch people who come to know Christ as Savior and watch them in their growth and in their development and watch how they learn to understand the Lord better and how their lives begin to transform and how things change in, in the whole realm of their living experience. And one of the areas that is inevitably affected involves ministry. Over the years, I've had people come and say, Pastor, I really would like to get involved in some ministry. Where would the Lord have me serve? And it's a great thing to have people volunteer that way. And it's a wonderful thing to have people understand that God has provided the means by which you can serve Him if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it's the natural thing to say, I want to use the provision that God has given me to bring honor and glory to His name and to serve Him and to be a minister for His honor and glory. Over the years, some of the hymn writers have captured that. Those who, uh, and, and again, some of the younger people may not recognize this song, but those of you who have been believers for a while, do you remember the song that said, uh, To be used of God is my desire? Some of you remember that? Uh, when I was in college, I went to a, a Christian college, and I would meet with a group of guys... And we would sing a song before we would have a devotional time and before we uh, enjoyed our, our fellowship together. And we would sing this song. And I know it's sung today, but it's a little bit different. The, the wording's a little different, but it, it basically comes out the same. And it's a singing of a verse of Scripture. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And that really is the desire of those who know Christ as Savior. Well, then the question comes up, can you be used effectively? 
Will God allow you to become involved in a work of ministry for His glory that will be fruitful and will honor Him and have eternal impact? Because I think most of us who know Christ as Savior realize that what we do in this life, it's important. We have responsibilities. We have uh, objectives that God has called us to fulfill and to perform. But ultimately, our goal is to do a work that has eternal impact to affect other people so that they're impacted for the glory of God and that what we do will last beyond our life here on this earth. Well, the, the believers at Corinth were undoubtedly concerned about their being able to be used by God. And so Paul writes to them in this 12th chapter and he begins to tell them, here is how God has made it possible for you to effectively serve him and carry out a work that has eternal value. Look with me, if you will, please, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look at the first 11 verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. How is it that God gives His people the ability to effectively carry out a ministry for Him? And the answer begins to unfold for us in this passage. And Paul has already alluded to it in previous verses in this same book. The first thing that he reminds us about is this, that he has given to all of his children the Holy Spirit himself. That when a person puts his faith and trust in Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God dwells within that individual to do a variety of different things, one of which is to to effectively serve the Father and carry out a ministry that will bring honor and glory to His name. If we looked at this distribution of the Holy Spirit, if I can use that terminology, and look at it first historically, the Spirit of God worked very differently in ages past from what He is doing today. If you look back into the Old Testament scriptures, uh, some people ask this question, well, was the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament? And the answer is yes, obviously. He had to be at work in the Old Testament, but in a very different way than the way he works today. We're given some very specific examples of how the Holy Spirit worked. 
Do you all recognize the name Bezalel? Isn't that one of your favorite biblical characters? Bezalel. Now, some of you do. Some of you say, oh, yeah, I know, who, I know whom you're making reference to. If you don't, that's okay, because he would be one of the more obscure people. But his involvement in serving the Lord becomes a great example historically of how the Holy Spirit worked. Bezalel was a man who had been set apart by God when God gave Moses the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And if you read through that, you see that there were some real intricate crafts that had to be done with both metallurgy, with the gold and the silver, with the tapestries that had to be put together, with the development of the articles that would go into the holy place, and then those that would be going into the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would be and where the presence of God would be manifest. And so God set apart this man, Bezalel, and there were others, but he he was the leader of the group, who were given by the Spirit of God certain capabilities to carry out these crafts that needed to be done. So what the Lord did was he gave his Holy Spirit to this man, and now this man was capable to do the metallurgical, to work with the metal, and to, to see that the stuff was all done beautifully. Now, those of you who have artistic abilities, you probably look at that and you say, oh yeah, I, I know how these different things could be made, and I have almost none. And when I see someone who has the capability to do the craftsmanship that requires uh, skill, I, I look at that in awe. And I say, how do they do that? And in some cases, God gives natural abilities to some. But in this case, a supernatural ability was given. And Bezalel was able to do this work in a very unique way that made the tabernacle the most beautiful of structures that God would manifest his presence in. You go further in the scriptures and you find that the first king of Israel, Saul, was given special capability to rule the people of Israel because the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, when you read about his involvement with Israel, there's a unique situation that occurs. We're told that the Spirit of God would come and then he would leave. He would come and then he would leave. And there were special occasions in which Saul drew upon the Spirit of God in a unique way to be the the king of Israel. But when the Spirit of God withdrew from him, he he would get himself into all kinds of problems and he would make some horrible decisions. And at a certain point, after Saul had disobeyed the word of God, God said, I'm taking my Spirit from you and he's not returning. And Saul lost the capability to rule the people of Israel. And as a result, judgment fell on him. And he and his sons perished in battle and and in a, a horrible way. That spirit of God was given to David, who also was the king of Israel and had to have supernatural capability to carry out the work and the ministry that God called him to fulfill, which was to lead the nation of Israel. And as you'll recall, when David fell into sin, when I fell into, he didn't fall into it, he chose it. When David chose to sin, you read about his confession to God for the sin that he committed, 
And one of the things that he says in Psalm chapter 51 is this. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he had seen what happened in Saul's life when the Spirit of God was withdrawn. And his greatest fear was that God would withdraw his presence in the Holy Spirit from David and leave him to his own devices And God mercifully accepted the confession of sin that David offered. And when you read Psalm 32, you begin to see how David is finally set free from the guilt of his sin by virtue of his confession before God. And the Spirit of God remained upon him until the day in which he died. The prophets were given the Holy Spirit for a unique purpose. If you read the Apostle Peter's letter, Peter made this statement. He said, For the prophecy, speaking of the Word of God, for the prophecy came not in old time, the Old Testament period, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So once again, in a unique fashion, the Spirit of God came upon individuals to carry them along so that what they wrote was inscripturated. It was the inspired Word of God from Genesis all the way through Malachi. These Old Testament prophets and writers, Moses and the others, they are all carried by the Holy Spirit to fulfill this purpose, to write the Scriptures. So we have that work of the Holy Spirit being accomplished historically. But then something else happened. The prophets, as they're writing about the Holy Spirit, begin to tell of a day when things were going to change. And Joel, the prophet, in the second chapter, makes a declaration about the Holy Spirit that's reiterated for us. It's quoted in the book of Acts. Let's take a look at this. Turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts, the second chapter, beginning at the 16th verse, we read the quotation that is taken from Joel chapter 2. Notice in verse 16, Peter is, is giving his sermon here on the day of Pentecost, and it says this, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and and on your men servants and on your maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is being spoken of here? The prophecy that Joel gave was a prophecy that has reference to the events of the last days. Events that are going to be taking place at the end of the age. But what Peter is drawing upon is the realization that the Spirit of God is going to be given to do a unique work prior to those events. And he is the one 
who now is going to take on a completely different type of work in the lives of individuals. So that when Peter quotes Joel, he is telling the people this, the spirit of whom Joel spoke, not the fulfillment of that prophecy, but the spirit of whom he spoke is now the one who is at work before you. That's why you hear people speaking your language and they never studied it. They were speaking in tongues. And you understand the message. And you know what's going on. What I'm telling you is this. It is the Spirit of God who has now been given to carry out this miraculous work. Jesus had likewise prophesied about this. As you look through those final chapters that record for us the words of Jesus before his crucifixion, when you begin reading in John chapter 14 and you read there how Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, he goes on to give a prophetic message about the fact that he needs to leave the, the, the disciples in order that he can send the Holy Spirit who will be their comforter, he will be their guide. He will be their teacher. He will carry out a work in the lives of the disciples that they cannot imagine could be carried out because he will be providing a supernatural capability to do a work of ministry that they never dreamed would be possible. And then the actuality of it. Not just the history and the prophecy, but now what do we have? the very experiential presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling among men. When you look at what, John, what Jesus said in John chapter 3, he made this statement. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you can't be saved you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Now the Holy Spirit becomes the essential ingredient in mankind's regeneration. So if the Spirit of God who came upon Bezalel, but not permanently, but for a special task, who came upon Saul and was taken away, who came upon David, who came upon the prophets, who came upon John the Baptist, who the Bible tells us was filled with the Spirit of God from the womb of his mother. That same Holy Spirit is now going to be an essential ingredient of true regeneration. In other words, if you're really, the terminology that we use, if you're really saved, there will be the evidence of the Spirit of God living in you. He takes up His residence there. He lives within us. And what the Bible teaches is that every single true believer in Christ has the Spirit of God dwelling within him. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
He comes and He dwells in every single believer. That means that the Spirit who enabled Bezalel, the Spirit who stayed with David, the Spirit who gave capability to the prophets, the Spirit who was in John the Baptist, this same Holy Spirit now has taken up a permanent residence within every born-again believer. Now the ramifications and the implications of that are pretty important. They're going to be involved in our understanding of how we can faithfully serve the Lord. But let me just kind of move off on a little sidetrack, which I never like to do. Never like to get sidetracked. If a person does not demonstrate through their lives that the presence of the Holy Spirit is within them, they have absolutely no assurance that they are saved. And quite frankly... People will say stuff like this. You know what? I really believe that Jesus can forgive all my sins. And I know this, that if I decide to go out and sin, I can confess that to the Lord and and He'll forgive me. Well, there's truth to that. But you know what? A person who has the Spirit of God dwelling within them doesn't take that attitude. They say... I want to please the Lord who has given me His Holy Spirit, who has forgiven my sins, and I realize I am going to fall along the way. I am going to do things that are sinful and wrong, but I am not going to make it my lifestyle to say I can go do anything I want, and you know what? I can confess my sin and the Lord will forgive me. And by the way, there are people that say that. There are people who do that, and they, they feel like I can live any way I want, and still, oh yeah, I trusted Jesus when I was seven. I walked the aisle, and I asked Jesus into my heart, so yes, I'm saved. No, you're not. If the Spirit of God is not dwelling within you, you are not saved. So please, examine yourselves to find out if the attitude of the presence of the Spirit of God is manifest within your own life, because if it's not... You can have walked the aisle. You can have made every profession of faith you want. You can attend church all the time. And it doesn't mean anything. The only way we are forgiven and we have eternal life is when we put our complete faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ when He died on the cross for our sins, when He was buried and He rose again from the dead. And I don't trust being baptized to do that. And I don't trust... Jared... Being a member of grace doesn't get you to heaven. You know that? Feel free to answer. You know that? You know that. Do you all know that? It's our relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. And until we receive Him as our Savior and trust in Him, we don't have eternal life. But here's what's great. When you do trust Jesus Christ as your Savior... The Spirit of God takes up residence. And He lives inside. And when you do wrong, you grieve Him. And you feel His grief. Because He's there. And so, the Spirit of God, dwelling within the believer, experientially becomes the true evidence of our regeneration of the eternal life that the Lord has given us. And it is by His presence that we are given capability to serve the Lord and carry out a work that has eternal value. Look back at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verses 2 and 3. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols 
however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God or no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute. Do you mean all somebody has to do is say, Jesus is Lord, and that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working within them? No. What Paul is writing about is this, that the reflection of an individual's deepest heart, the very essence of who a person is, and we speak about the heart, but let's include the mind, let's include every dimension of who we are. A person cannot acknowledge with absolute confidence and trust that Jesus Christ is Lord until the Spirit of God does the work within their hearts. It isn't just saying the words. It's being transformed. It's being made a different person. And any person that calls Christ anathema, calls Him accursed, does not do that by the Spirit of God. And so the Lord shows us that when the Spirit of God is dwelling within us, we have the capability to tell who He really is. He is Lord. And the day is coming in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Lord gives us the capability to serve Him by giving us His Holy Spirit. And here's something I want you to recognize. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it is very easy to confuse the different elements of His work. What we have just described is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Who is indwelt by the Spirit of God? The answer is every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He dwells within everyone. He was even dwelling in these disobedient rebels in Corinth because they had really trusted in Christ, but they were really living lives that were not honoring to the Lord. And that's the people to whom Jesus said, or, or Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So he's dwelling within each individual. But he does a different type of work for different purposes. The Spirit of God indwells in order to give us life. The Spirit of God fills a person in order to give them a completely different direction in life. The filling of the Spirit is the recognition that we have died to sin, we are alive to God, we do not quench the Spirit, we do not grieve the Spirit, but instead we walk by means of the Spirit so that He is in control of the words that we say, of the thoughts that we think, of the places that we go, of the things that we do. That is the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's different than His indwelling. He will indwell every born-again believer. He will, full, he will fill. He will be in control. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. There's so much that needs to be taught about the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to do it all today. But He will control the life of an individual who is turned over completely to Him. He will seal until the day of redemption the person who trusts Christ as Savior. 
so that our security does not depend upon our capability to do everything that God wants, but the security that we have is in the power of the Holy Spirit to seal us until the day of redemption. And even if I go astray, the seal of the Spirit of God is not broken. He sees I'm going to get home safely. And you might be here today and you might say, Pastor, I, I, really, I, I do know Christ is my Savior, but but I have really walked far from him. You have no idea how many times I hear people say that. I haven't followed the Lord's will for my life. And I'm looking back and I am so sorry for what I have done. Where can I go from here? Here's what I can tell you. The first thing you need to do is rest in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you until the day of redemption. He's not going to let you go. You're still his. That's a great reality. When we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, those now are the capabilities that the Spirit of God has given to us to carry out this eternal work. So you, you all understand, the, the, the work of the Spirit is very different for different reasons. Um, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, that, that seems to be confused by a lot of people today. Uh, You've got to put that in the, the biblical context. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit that places you in the body of Christ wherever He wants you to be and He gives you the spiritual gifts that He wants you to have to carry out a work for Him. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body and in that one body we have the capability to serve Christ. It is there that we find our usefulness. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is because there are some people today that teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens only to select individuals and they have the capability to do um, some miraculous things. Uh, Let's just call it the way it is. You can speak in tongues. The Bible does not teach that. That is a man-made philosophy. The Bible says that the baptism of the Spirit places you into the body of Christ in which you find yourself capable of doing a work of ministry. And now we come to what Paul goes on to describe in verses 4 through 6. He unites us all for the same purpose. The first dimension of that is that he causes us to understand that there is diversity in unity. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, okay? The same Spirit that indwells you, if you know Christ, indwells me. It is the same Spirit, but we have different gifts. We have different places in the body of Christ. And he uses the illustration of the human body. We have different members. My, my hands are not my feet. My feet are not my legs. My legs are not my torso. All through the body, there are different elements that are all part of this same body. And this diversity that I have in my body is the illustration that God uses to help us understand the way He's put us together in this body. And what He wants us to know is this. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were placed at a particular place in the body of Christ and you were given the gifts that you need to function as that part of the body. 
Now, he's going to go on and he's going to describe what some of these different parts are here and in a variety of other passages, and we're going to, we're going to take a look at those later on. But here's something to keep in mind. You don't earn a part in the body of Christ. It's given to you sovereignly by the Holy Spirit and by His choice. You don't develop spiritual gifts by being mature in your walk. Let me rephrase that. You don't inherit a spiritual gift by being a mature believer. You can develop the gift as you mature, but it's a gift that was sovereignly given not by your choice, but by the choice of the Spirit of God. So we don't pick where we fall in the body of Christ. He chooses that. And you can't say, well, I want this gift because He decides who gets what gift. Look with me, if you will, please, down at verse 7. Pardon me, verse 11, not 7, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So in the body of Christ, there's a diversity, but yet there is this unity, and the unity is for the purpose of carrying out a ministry that God has established for each one of us. Look down with me, if you will, at verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Well, what's the objective of my ministry? Well, it's not to be used selfishly. See, when a person accepts Christ and a spiritual gift is given to them for functioning within the body of Christ, you could take that gift and you could use it selfishly. Let me give you an illustration. If God gives you the gift of administration, and thankfully within our church there are a number of people that have been gifted that way. And I, you can identify them. They're, they're easy to identify. They're very organized. They, they think of the details. They have the capability to put pieces together and to make things operate smoothly. And you can do that in the church or you could use it selfishly and take it into the workplace and use it just for your own benefit. Can you use your spiritual gifts in the workplace? Absolutely. They're your gifts. They're given to you by God freely. You don't earn them. He gives them to you. And it can function within the workplace. And it's good to use that gift to the very benefit of your employer so that you are the best employee that you can be. But if that's where you stop, you fail to understand that the spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of the whole body. Now we go down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So here's what we're talking about. If you know Christ is your Savior, you've been given a spiritual gift, and God's intent is that you use that spiritual gift for the benefit of the body. And if you use that for the benefit of the body, God honors it, and He blesses it, and He produces fruit through it. That's why it's so important for every believer 
to be involved in a work of ministry. How many times have you heard a statement like this? Well, I know at our church, what they, we, we got 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. Have you ever heard people say something like that? Yeah, so a number of you are shaking your heads yes. Well, if you haven't heard it before, you've heard it now. Okay? That's what some people say. That's a terrible church to be in. That's wrong. Everybody should be carrying out his or her work using the spiritual gifts that God has given so that 10% of the people don't have to carry 90% of the load. Am I walking on thin ice yet? I'm just telling you the truth. God wants you to, to use your gifts for His honor and glory. And then he goes on to tell us that this body that he has placed us in is designed to take care of itself. Have you ever noticed how um, if one part of your body hurts, the rest of your body tries to come to its aid? That's what happens. Uh, it, you cut your finger. Oh, what do you do? Well, your arm draws your finger back into your body. It's a place of safety. Your other hand grabs it. You, you try to keep it from bleeding. I, I cut my finger one time right down to the bone. I was working at a print shop, and uh, I had to go get some ink. And I went down, uh, this was in college, and I went down to the, uh, the motor pool area, and I grabbed a can of oil. <laughs> How stupid I was grab a can of oil that had th this is back before the little plastic things this is a long time ago and the lid came up and just had a little thing holding on to it and I went like this to try to break the top off well now it's got oil all over it so my hand just slips like crazy and slices right down to the bone and now I go right away to the, there was a campus hospital. I went to the campus hospital and they asked me, why are you here? <laughs> I shouldn't have done this. And I went, <laughs> and the blood just, <laughs> it just went all over. Well, then you grab it and you're trying to keep it from bleeding and you're holding it and you know, you're kissing the poor little thing and your whole body reacts to this. And so the whole body is now affected. When any part of the body gets hurt, the whole body responds. You come around and you help for the benefit of the whole body. God's plan is such a beautiful plan. And then he tells us this. I'm going to empower you with those gifts. Do you realize that if the gift that God has given you or the gifts that God has, have, has given you are withheld from his service and somebody else has to carry out the work that God intended for you to do, they will get to the point where you will hear this phrase, I'm burned out. Have you ever heard anybody ever say that? Oh man, I, I hear people say that. I'm burned out. I can tell you why. 
You're trying to carry out a work that God had not gifted you for. Because if God gifts you for a particular work, you will go day and night and you will keep going and you will find it fulfilling. And you don't burn out. But what happens is, if you're not carrying out your job, somebody else has to do it. And then that person gets to the point where they say, I'm all burned out. And so what does the Lord say? He says, I, by, by application, will give you power to carry out the work that I want you to do. Look at verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works, who gives the power to all in all. And when God gives that capability, there is guaranteed fruitfulness, there is the energizing motivation to carry it out, and we accomplish and and fulfill the purpose of God. And then the final thing that he brings to our attention is this. He equips us with a supernatural ability, and we begin to read that there in verse 7, and he talks about the spiritual gifts that are, are mentioned here. I, I want to draw two, two conclusions here because as you read through those, you, you're going to see the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of, of miracles, the gifts of speaking in tongues, the gift of interpreting tongues. Do you all remember what Pastor Luke read at the beginning of our service in Hebrews chapter 2? If you don't remember it, you need to go back and read this again. Some of the spiritual gifts that were given for a time were to verify the message that the apostles were bringing. They brought the message of salvation that had not been inscripturated yet. And they brought this message and they were accompanied by miraculous gifts, by signs and wonders and miracles. But that was not going to be the norm of the gifts. The gifts that are of normal use are recorded in Romans chapter 12. Turn back very quickly to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, beginning there at verse 3, we read this. For I say through the grace given to me, for everyone uh, who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all... The members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually, having then gifts differing according to the grace that God has given us, let us use them. If prophecy, the declaring of God's word, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And now we begin to see the the record of the gifts that God has given that would be perpetuated through the church for the glory of his name. When you go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, four individuals are given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And then you come back to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and you read in in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, that God has given to each one of us at least one different gift that he desires to use for the praise of his glory. What's yours? What's yours? You say, I don't know. We'll help you. We have a a little evaluation on our computer online, on our website. 
and you can answer a hundred questions. They're not right and wrong. They'll just help you determine what your spiritual gift is. And then they will be automatically evaluated and you'll be told. The only reason I suggest that to you is I've done it now twice, at, separated by years and, and both times. It's come out exactly the same. And I would have said, yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's a very good evaluation. And you should determine what your spiritual gift is or gifts are and you should use them in the body of Christ for the benefit of the body and for the glory of the Savior. Would you read, take out your bulletin. Some of you probably already stuck them away, but just take out your bulletin. I want you to, to look at this last statement, this closing statement. It's a long sentence, but it's the best I could do. God gives each of his children spiritual gifts so that each and every one will have the capability within to do a supernatural work of eternal significance on behalf of the rest of God's family. Now, would you look at the rest? That's why you're so important. Some of you might say, well, I'm not even sure he knows I'm in church. And I might not. I, I can't tell who all's here every week and, and who's not. But here's one thing I do know. Every one of you whom God has called to be part of Grace Baptist Church are very important to the church because God has given you a gift to function within this church. Having understood that and knowing how important you are, now you need to be with us regularly. Some people say, you know what, I don't get much out of church. I hope you do. I, I hope good things happen when you come here. But don't forget this. Part of it is you're also giving. And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about your giving of your ministries. And there are people probably sitting within a few rows of you who need what you can offer. Uh, the parents whose kids are in the nursery and in the junior church, they need somebody to lead those kids and to care for them and teach them. Um, the person who is facing a terminal illness needs your mercy and needs a degree of compassion that you can give that someone else is not going to be able to give. We need each other and we need to be here to satisfy that need. You need to stir that gift up. You say, well, I'm not that good at anything. Well, God's given you gifts. Let's get them working. The more you work at them, the more effective they become. And you need to be involved in works of ministry. I'm just going to ask you this question. If you're part of Grace Baptist Church, this is your church, and you're not doing a work of ministry, See, I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm just going to say it right out. <laughs> Why are you hurting the, the body the way you are? Why are you doing that? Well, I don't think that I'm capable. We've already proven that you are. Well, I'm not wanted. Yes, you are. Do we have to hang up a sign in the post office? Wanted. So-and-so. Grace Baptist Church crime, 
failure to serve. Sentence. Got to sit and listen to the pastor. <laughs> listen, you all know you're an important part of this body. And you need to serve. For the glory of Christ. And for eternal impact. Let's stand. Father, when we get into a portion of your word such as this, it, it becomes a part of the whole issue of where we live day by day. Lord, um, I understand that it will be easy for people to blow this off. I also understand that there's some who have taken this very seriously already and perhaps in many regards serve in areas where you have not called them to serve because no one else is doing it. I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon every person who is part of this congregation to recognize the importance of their presence and their involvement. Father, we want your work to be blessed and to be carried out in such a way that you will be glorified. Only you can teach the truths through the power of your Holy Spirit that need to be taught, that need to penetrate our hearts. Do your work today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.